Well, it's great to be with you uh, again this morning. Uh, in my preparation uh, for this message, really focusing on humility, I stumbled on this graph on the internet. You probably can't read the fine print there, but it, it shows the popularity of the word humble or humility in literature over the last 200 years. Now, the downward trend is striking, isn't it? The downward, uh, tragically, uh, a Christian book reported that humility is rarely talked about in churches today either. And yet here in Philippians 2, it is clearly what God wants for his people. So as we look at it together, let's ask God to give us the humility to not only understand his word, but to surrender our hearts to his Holy Spirit to change our attitudes and our behaviour. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we're often so blind to the sin in our hearts, and yet it is that very sin that robs us of joyful communion with you and delightful fellowship with each other. So as we look at your word together now, please help us to understand what humility is and why it's so important and delightful in our lives. And Father, in your mercy, grant us a willing heart to obey all that you show us for your glory and for the good of all people. Amen. Well, let's get our bearings to start with, recapping some of what we've learnt uh, over the last couple of weeks. In Philippians chapter 1, we saw that joy in any and every circumstance only comes when we engage in life with a gospel lens. Here in Philippians 2, we find that joy in relationships comes when we engage with people with Christ-like humility. In Philippians 1, Paul sees every moment as an opportunity to make Christ known to those around him. Here in Philippians 2, Paul sees every moment as an opportunity to serve those around him. In Philippians 1, the message is, Jesus first. Here in Philippians 2, the message is, and other people second. And to complete this little intro, I want to suggest that in Philippians 1, the key verse is verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But what does it look like to live for Christ and like Christ? Well, I reckon the key verse in chapter 2 helps us understand how to do that. I reckon it's verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Everything in chapter 2 relates to this theme of humility. Paul begins by focusing us on Jesus Christ. Verse 1. If you do have your Bibles, please do keep them open. Some of the verses will come up on screen, uh, but you can see it there in front of you that way. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being with Christ, if any comfort, he sounds a bit desperate here, from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. I mean, it, it sounds like there's like some serious disunity or disagreement going on in this Philippian church. In fact, we don't need to read between the lines to find it. We just need to read ahead. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, speaks of false teachers 
coming from outside the church. Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 tells us about two significant people in the church, two ladies, Syntyche and Euodia, who are having a big battle about some uh, issue in the church. And it's affecting the whole community. As Paul addresses these issues of, of disunity and disagreement, his goal is not uniformity, but true unity. You see, uniformity comes from external pressure to toe the line, obey the rules, look the same. But genuine unity, spiritual unity, comes from a change within. It's a matter of the heart. In a gracious way, Paul's kind of saying to them, look, your disagreements show that there's a spiritual problem going on here. And it's not going to be solved by just adding rules or or having arguments. It will only be solved when your hearts are right with God and with each other. Problems in our behavior always begin with a problem in our heart. And Paul wanted to see that the cause of their tension was selfishness. And the root cause of that selfishness was pride. And friends, can I say, there is no joy in the life of a Christian who puts self above other people. And so we come to our key verse, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Let me just ask you, just to make sure we've heard that. How much can we do out of selfish ambition and vain conceit? Nothing. Man, I wish I could remember that. How often do I break that one? Nothing at all. What's the alternative? Read on. Rather, in humility, value others. How much? Above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This is so countercultural, is it not? This is as radically different to the pattern of the world around us. Now, following on from this verse, we've actually got four personal examples of humility. The Lord Jesus in verses 5 to 11. He's the ultimate example of humility. And then following that, we've got the example of Paul himself, then Timothy, and then a bloke called Epaphroditus. Try saying that five times fast. Um, We'll look at him next week. Um, But before we look at the example of Jesus, um, we need to know what humility is. What exactly does it mean? Uh, We need to define it. Now, the dictionary says, it's on the screen, thinking lowly of oneself, claiming little for oneself, not proud, arrogant or assuming, lowly, weak, modest. No wonder it's not popular. I mean, some bits sound like okay, like, you know, not being arrogant, but thinking lowly of ourselves and being weak, that doesn't sound attractive. In fact, to be honest, it sounds a bit like low self-esteem. And no one wants that. One of the dangers is to reject the concept of humility based on a secular definition. But friends, we are followers of Jesus. And as God's people, we need to be asking, what does the Bible say about humility? How does God define humility? And this chapter is really, really helpful. If I was to sum up the the teaching of the whole Bible on what humility means, I'd say it like this. 
It means submitting to God and serving others. Now, that's a lot shorter anyway and easier to remember. Submitting to God and serving others. And how we obey God in this area actually impacts on how he will deal with us. Proverbs 3 and verse 34. Proverbs 3 verse 34. This is quoted all the way through the Bible, this verse. Um, God opposes the proud but shows favour or gives grace to the humble. This contrast is seen all over the place. In that second Bible reading we had today about Nebuchadnezzar, he was really proud and God opposed him. He humbled himself before God and God exalted him again. And notice after God exalted him, notice the language he used was nothing about how great he was. It was all about how great God was. Friends, humility matters. It matters because it matters to God. Years ago, I worked in a Christian school uh, with an old Navy officer called Fred Symes, and he was the deputy principal. Uh, after addressing some you know, issue amongst the student uh, body, he'd always finish uh, by saying to the students, be like Jesus. I can, yeah, big gruff voice. Be like, I can't do it. Find someone with a gruff voice and get them to say it. Be like Jesus. Uh, That's exactly what Paul's saying to us here uh, as well. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Be like Jesus. Well, let's see how this simple definition, submitting to God and serving others, let's see how it's illustrated in verses 6 to 11 in the life of Jesus. Uh, now, this little bit looks like a poem in, in your Bibles. It's probably an early creed or statement of, of what the church believed. And, and just at a, a quick glance at it, you can see there's two halves to it. And it's humble and then exalted. Isn't that exactly what we just saw from Proverbs? God opposes the proud with no pride in Jesus, but he shows favour to the humble. Jesus is humble and therefore God exalts him. Verse 6, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Being in very nature God. That means that Jesus was, is, and always will be fully God. Even when he walked the earth, he's fully God. That's his very nature. But look at the attitude that he attaches to it. He did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He had all the power of heaven available to him when he walked the earth. What would you and I do if we had all the power of heaven available to us just like that at our beck and call? There's a very funny and completely fictional movie called Bruce Almighty. Has anyone seen it? Yeah, okay, you know where I'm going. Um, Where God asks Bruce to do his job of being God for one day. God-sized power at the whim of a man. What could go wrong? (laughs) 
You can probably imagine all the sorts of things that he, and let's be honest, you and I would be just the same, what we would do if we had God's power even for just one day. Can I suggest very few people would refuse to use it for their own advantage. Yeah? But that's what Jesus did. Instead of using all of the power of God, Verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Notice those words, very nature, being repeated again. He is God by nature. He chose to become a servant. He didn't have to. It wasn't forced upon him. He took it on. Elsewhere, Paul uses uh, the metaphor of putting off vices and putting on virtues as though they were kind of like clothing. Uh, Here, Jesus looked at the options, opened the, the divine wardrobe and chose to put on humility. He chose to put on an others first attitude. He chose to dress himself with service. He made himself nothing. In the eyes of the world. Friends, I want to suggest a new prayer at the beginning of your day. Every time you're getting dressed, when you're literally putting on your clothes for the day, here's my suggestion. I want you to pray this. I'm going to try and do it too. Dear Father, as I put on these garments to clothe my body, please clothe my heart with the humility of of Jesus, submitted to you and serving others. Good prayer? Give it a go. When you get dressed tomorrow morning, um, you know, you're thinking, what am I going to put on today? Ah, that's right. Whatever I cover my body with, I need to cover my heart with the humility of Christ. At the end of verse 7, he says, being made in human likeness. And I just find that staggering because the Bible makes it clear that everything that exists was made through Jesus. And yet here is astonishing humility. The creator, the creator stepping into his own creation and becoming one of us. It's amazing. And it does beg the question, why? When you're God and you've made everything, why would you step into it in all the frailness and limitations of being a human being? Starting off as a baby, for goodness sake. Why? We get to the very heart of his humility in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself yet further. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, humility equals obedience to God the Father. Humility equals obedience. There's a really funny little verse in Numbers 12, verse 3. Anyone know what it is? Number, oh, oh. It's like John 3.16. No. Um, no, Numbers 12 verse 3, it says this. Now Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Oh, you're wondering why that's funny. Oh, I'll tell you. Um, you see, 
Most Bible experts say that um, the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're all written down by Moses, except for the very end of Deuteronomy, which is like after he's died. Fair enough. Be pretty hard to write that bit. And this verse. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. It's kind of like, well, hang on. If you think you're humble, if you think you've finally got humility, you've just lost it, haven't you? So they thought, he couldn't have possibly written that verse. But when you read it in, in the context of the chapter, God's actually explaining to two other disobedient leaders that Moses was the most obedient man over all he'd been assigned to do and in that way i can i can imagine well he probably didn't enjoy writing that verse (laughs) but he was the most humble man because he was the most obedient man the point is we cannot separate humility from obeying god it makes sense god says do this the proud person says nah I'll do that. The humble person just gets on with doing exactly what God says. They are obedient. They've submitted their lives to his authority. In fact, they relish in it. In Jesus' case, he was obedient all the way to death. And Jesus is our example, which means God calls us to submit to him, to humble ourselves before him, to obey him, even to the point of death. Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's so full of gratitude to God for what he has done for him in the Lord Jesus Christ that he sees himself as being completely dead to his self, dead to his own desires and wishes and ambitions and all those kinds of things and completely alive to God and his purposes for his life, which are far better than anything he could come up with himself anyway. The point is we cannot separate humility from obeying God. Before we move on, just note those words, even death on a cross. On the cross, Jesus not only submitted to God, he also clearly and wonderfully served others by paying the price for their sin. He paid the price for our lack of humility, for our pride and arrogance, We're the ones, because of our pride, our arrogance, all of our sin, we're the ones who should have been humiliated on display. The consequences of our sin against God being punished. And Jesus took that for us. He took it for us. He took the shame. He took the humiliation. He took the punishment so that we could be forgiven by God and clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. That's amazing. And then see what follows. 
these wonderful words. We're about to sing it, sing these words, uh, and they're great to sing. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our right response to Jesus is to bow our knee in humility and recognize him as our Lord now and forever. And because he was humble and obedient to death on the cross, that means he's also the saviour of all who put their trust in him. Verses 9 to 11, really are wonderful. It'd be great to just do a whole morning just on those verses. But let me just draw attention to the very last phrase, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' whole earthly life, and in fact his whole eternal existence, is characterised by joyful, willing submission to God. And we're called to do the same, to follow his example. So how do we do it? Well, most of us have no problem being humble in our areas of weakness. It's those areas where we excel or where we think we do and those places where we might be admired, in which we become proud. Criticise me all you like in the area of cooking and I'll just laugh it off. Go for it. But if you criticise me in something that I'm really working hard at or that I think I'm doing okay in, and I just might get defensive. I'm not going to give you suggestions. <laughs> and the same is true of all of us. The, the struggle is not merely to dress ourselves with humility, but to take off pride. And that's where the problem is much deeper and wider than most of us want to admit. Psalm 10 verse 4 says, In his pride... The wicked person does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for him. Friends, we do not want to be characterized by pride because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And there's another barrier to humility that I think has risen in our culture in recent decades and that's because humility is sometimes confused with or associated with low self-esteem. The answer to low self-esteem is, is not to take pride in yourself and make a list of all the good things you can do to battle against the awful things that others, or most of the time our own thoughts, say against us by trying to build ourselves up. The answer to self, low self-esteem is actually humility. Submitting to God and serving others. You see, when we submit to God, we submit to how he thinks about everything, including us. Then we learn to see ourselves clearly, rightly, in the wonderful light of his word. Delight in who God is and that we are made in his image and how much he loves us and that through Christ and his death on the cross, we can love him and live for him, and that radically changes our whole outlook. Friends, we are shaped most by what we love most. We're shaped most by what we love most. 
to love God most. Bow our knees to Jesus every day in the attitudes of our heart. And as we do that, we will become more like Jesus. But maybe the way I've expressed this, it sounds like we're kind of mustering up enough willpower and grit and determination to try and be humble, try and be like Jesus. Look at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Working out our salvation does not mean working for our salvation. Working out means now that God has saved me, what are the implications for my attitudes and behavior? How how do I align myself with my new king? And see God's promise? As we work out what it looks like to be his, his child, his servant, he works in. He works within us powerfully through his word, by his spirit, to fulfill his good purpose. God is for us, not against us. And he wants to help us in this whole area of humility for his glory for our good and for the benefit of all those we come into contact with. Amen.